Well, this morning we are continuing in our sermon series on Exodus, The Way Out. And tonight we're going to, this morning I should say, we're going to look at part eight, The Night the Dogs Did Not Bark. I've written this sermon from the perspective of what a Jewish father might have experienced that night of the tenth plague of Israel. It's, or pardon me, of Egypt. It's one of those stories that we're so familiar with, I wanted to re-envision it, reimagine it from someone else's perspective to perhaps give us some fresh insight to a story we're so familiar with. And so I hope that you find it uh, an encouragement this morning. Would you bow with me now and let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this record we have of your mighty act on behalf of Israel all those years ago. Lord, thank you that we have so much we can learn from this. And thank you that we can even see how it foreshadows the great act of salvation that you would yet reveal through your Son, the Lord Jesus. And so I pray, Lord, that as we look at this story from a a fresh perspective, that you would speak through me, that you would speak to our hearts and give us a greater understanding and insight into what it means for each one of us right now today. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The sun had just set leaving behind a perfectly calm twilight in its wake as Levi swung the gate to the sheep pen shut. He could hear the urgent bleeding of the mother ewe calling from within for her little lamb who she'd just been separated with, and then the lamb's pitiful call and reply. Making certain the gate was firmly latched, Levi turned and headed up the path towards the house just in, just in time to see a comical sight. There was his oldest son, Benji, mustering all of the strength that his seven-year-old body possessed, desperately clinging to the hind legs of the little lamb that had partially broken free from his arms and was trying to make good his escape. All the while, the family dog was dancing circles around them, trying his best to be helpful but only making matters worse by barking loudly and nipping at the lamb. "'Hold him tight, Benji,' he called out. "'I've got him, Papa!' came Benji's determined reply. A smile of pride flashed across Levi's face as he laughingly called out, Well, don't let him get away. We'll be chasing him half the night. At that moment, he heard the mother ewe call out for her missing lamb once more, and he was struck by the sudden realization that the lamb would never again be reunited with its mother, and the smile quickly faded from his lips at the thought. The light-hearted scene that had unfolded before him had given him the moment to forget the serious business that lie before him that night and the vital role that the lamb would play in the chilling drama that was about to unfold. You see, the lamb had not been chosen hastily. Just four days earlier, on the tenth day of Nisan, it had been selected carefully and with great deliberation. Moses' instructions had been clear. The lamb must be a one-year-old male without any blemish or defect of any kind. Levi's pace quickened as he strode up the path towards his son. And as he watched Benji regain control of the lamb and then determinedly clutched the lamb back into his arms, it struck him that it was as though his son was clinging to life itself. The lamb's life in exchange for his. What did it all mean? What was the point of this exercise? Why did a lamb need to die in order that his oldest son could live? But then by sheer force of will, 
Levi pushed the question from his mind. This was not a night for reflection. This was a night for obedience and for action. There would be time enough to think on what it all meant later. And so the preparation for the lamb's slaughter were made. Levi's wife, Sarah, she brought out one of the large wood basins. Little five-year-old Leah followed behind carrying a clump of hyssop. And straggling behind was three-year-old Judah with the family dog dutifully following at his heel. Levi tested his knife blade's sharpness against his thumb once more. Yes, the blade was keen, ready for its task. The lamb, whose legs were now bound, was held firmly against the chopping block, with little realization of about, of about what was going to happen next. Sarah stooped and silently placed the wooden basin beneath the lamb's head. Knowing what came next, little Leah and Ju- Judah quickly hid themselves behind her skirt, only their eyes peeking out from around the side. Seven-year-old Benji looked bravely on, chin high in the air, yet his lower lip quivered. The moment had come. All preparations had been done carefully, and according to Moses' exact instructions, now only one thing remained. The knife lifted in Levi's work-worn hand, and then he paused. Though he had butchered many animals before, his hand trembled slightly. For this time was different. This time everything was hanging in the balance. This time his son's life, his family's future, and even the fate of his entire nation was at stake. Taking a deep breath, he said a silent prayer, steadied himself, and then with a deft and skillful motion, the knife flashed across the sheep's throat, and the deed was done. The lamb momentarily tensed, and then with hardly a sound relaxed, its lifeblood flowing freely down, quickly forming a crimson pool in the basin below. The next moments unfolded silently as Levi followed Moses' instructions to the letter. It all seemed so surreal what he was doing. He never imagined something quite like this. Taking the clump of hyssop from his daughter's hand, he dipped it into the basin. Then, taking the new brush, he brushed it against both doorposts of his home and then again across the top. The blood ran down before slowly soaking into the wood itself, leaving behind its crimson stain. Gazing at the lamb's blood running down his doorposts of his home, It took Levi's mind back to that fateful day many weeks earlier now, when the first of God's great plagues against Egypt had struck, turning the Nile River in all of its waters into blood. He remembered that day how his jaw had literally dropped at the sight. Could it really be that after four centuries of enslavement, that after four centuries of crying out to God in their misery, that God was finally going to save them. Had he truly heard their cries for mercy, was he now actually going to act on their behalf? And as Levi had stared at that river of blood and all of the people of the nation had stared at that river of blood, the thought had been more than his mind could comprehend. For even though Levi had considered himself as much a man of faith as the next man, He had found it incredibly hard to believe that it was really happening. That what they had longed for for so long was going to happen in their time. 
For yes, like all good Hebrew boys, he had heard all of the stories. He had heard how God had promised Abraham a great nation. He had heard the stories of Isaac and Jacob. And yes, of course, he knew by heart the great acts of Joseph. But that was all a long, long time ago. 400 years, in fact. All Levi had known his entire life was hard labor, insults, the sting of whips cracking across his back, and the very real threat of a tyrant having their baby boys drowned in the river. Where was the mercy of God when his nephew, moments after birth, had been ripped from his mother's arms by an Egyptian soldier and thrown without ceremony into the Nile River? Where was God's mighty power to save when he had helplessly watched an Egyptian slave master mercilessly strike his father to the ground and beat him unconscious? Where had God's healing power been when his mother's tears had flowed without end as she watched her broken husband die a slow and painful death? And even as they had cried out to heaven in their misery, God's silence had been deafening. And so Levi wondered, how could God stand by for so long while his people suffered under such a cruel oppression? How could God see and hear and yet do nothing? Did he not care? And in that moment, a doubt crept silently into his mind. God had not acted, so God would not act. Yes, perhaps God had acted before in the distant past, and perhaps he would yet act again in some distant future, but Levi would never again expect God to act on their behalf in the present. Slavery was all they knew, and slavery was all he and his children and his children's children would ever know. And with hardly a conscious thought, the doubt settled into his heart as a fact. And so even when he had been present the day that Moses and Aaron arrived and he had witnessed firsthand when they had thrown down their staffs and they became snakes on the ground and then they had picked the snakes back up and they had reformed into staffs, he had seen it. And part of him wanted desperately to believe. And yet the doubt had persisted. But then the day came that with his very own eyes he witnessed as the entire Nile River turned to blood. And as if that wasn't enough, even the canals and the cisterns, right down to the water in the stone jars in their kitchens, every drop of water in the entire land had turned to blood. How could he not be convinced? How could anyone not be convinced God was real? And not only was God real, but he had in fact heard their cries. He had seen their misery. He did care about them, and he was now acting powerfully on their behalf in the present. How could Pharaoh not be persuaded by such a mighty sign of Yahweh's power? How could he do anything but immediately let the people go? And yet somehow, Pharaoh was not impressed. He was not persuaded. And then he went on to prove just how incredibly stubborn and hard-hearted he really was. As Levi remembered all the terrible plagues that followed, a chill ran through him. The first three plagues of blood, frogs, and lice had been impressive, to be sure, 
but they were not overly destructive. But after the third plague, things turned a corner. And between the third and the fourth plague, it was as though God had placed an invisible wall between the land of Goshen, where the Israelites lived, and the rest of Egypt. For when the swarms of flies had descended on Egypt in clouds so thick they nearly blotted out the sun, hardly a housefly could be found in the Israelites' homes in Goshen. And things had just kept getting worse for Egypt from there. In a single day, every last one of the Egyptians' livestock died. The stench filled the air. But not even one of the Israelites' oldest mules had died that day. Then every Egyptian had been struck on their own bodies with painful boils. Even Pharaoh himself had the boils on his skin. This was then followed by the worst hailstorm the nation had ever seen. And what wasn't destroyed by the hail was stripped clean thereafter by a plague of locust that again so thick it blotted out the sun, stripping every last green plant bare. Not a crop remained standing in the land. But as devastating as all of that had been, perhaps most eerie of all had been the plague of darkness. Three days, the Egyptian people sat in complete inky blackness. Even at midday, you could not see the hand in front of your face. It was a darkness so deep you could feel it. And in their utter misery, the Egyptian people had cried out to their sun god Ra to shine his light upon them once more. But this time, it was his silence that was deafening. And all the while, upon the land of Goshen, the sun had shone down its smiling face. And so after all of that, what possible argument remained on whose God was the true God? Even Pharaoh's own magicians were convinced that Yahweh, the God of Israel, was the God of gods. Even Pharaoh's princes begged him to just let the people go in order to spare the land from further judgment. But nine plagues had come. Nine plagues had gone. And after all of the signs and all of the suffering and all of the destruction, Pharaoh's heart still remained as hard as granite. Levi let out a deep sigh. What is it going to take? What is it going to take to convince this man to let us go? If this doesn't persuade him, nothing will. His wife's soft voice behind him startled him out of his deep thoughts. Her hands then rested gently upon his shoulders. But after all we have seen, I know that God will make a way for us. I still don't understand it. But to be under the Lamb's blood tonight, to see it on our doorposts, somehow in my heart, I know that our family, our Benji, will be safe. Then stepping across the threshold, she called over her shoulder, Now hurry and wash up. Our Passover supper is ready. And so it was. The instructions for the meal were specific and strange. The lamb fire, the lamb was to be boiled, pardon me, not boiled, but roasted over a fire. There were to be bitter herbs as a side, and the bread was to be without yeast. Their bags sat packed at the door. 
Their heavy cloaks were on their shoulders and their sandals were tied up on their feet, ready for travel. They ate quickly and in silence. What does this mean, Papa? Benji's question broke the silence, and then it hung in the air for a moment. Was he ready? Was he old enough to know what it meant? Levi decided he was, and he replied, My son, this night the Lord will strike down every firstborn son in the land of Egypt, from the lowest peasant up to the Pharaoh's palace. But when he sees the blood of the lamb on our doorposts, he will pass over our home, and you, my son, will be spared. Well, at this, Benji's eyes were wide. But what if it doesn't work, Papa? What if God doesn't see the blood? What if he doesn't pass over? You have nothing to fear, my son, came Levi's reassuring reply. God sees all and he knows all. And then a new thought dawned on him. You see, my son, the lamb's blood stands between us and God's judgment. And so long as we remain under it in this home, we are safe. So trust me, my son, and trust God. Tonight, God is going to set his people free. And then Levi reached out. He tussled his son's hair. Now, no more questions. Go help your mother clear the table. The Passover meal now finished. The table cleared and the last bags packed. Nothing more remained to do but wait. And with only a few hours remaining until midnight, there was little time for sleep. Of course, the children quickly fell asleep, but as the hour of midnight crept ever closer, Levi could feel his own tension rising within him. There was something he couldn't quite put his finger on. Something about the night, the air, it just felt different. And then it struck him. It was eerily silent. There was not a breath of wind not the distant lowing of livestock, and not even the sound of a single dog barking at the moon. Looking down at the family dog, he noticed it lay crouching at the door, ears laid back, eyes alert, as though it sensed something was amiss. I guess we'll know soon enough, thought Levi as he closed his eyes to rest. He awoke with a jolt. He didn't know how long he had dozed off for, but instinctively he knew that something had happened. Whether he had heard it or whether he had felt it, he would never know, but a cold chill ran through his body. Looking quickly over at his wife Sarah, he saw her eyes were also wide open. She had felt it too. Then as if as one person, they jumped up, they bolted to Benji's side. A sudden panic gripped them. Was he all right? Could he be dead? Perhaps they had done something wrong. But then they heard Benji's mumbled voice. Is it time to go? Relief washed over them. Sarah, with tears streaming down her face, wrapped her arms around her son. He was alive. The Lord had indeed seen the blood. The angel of death had passed over their home. And now the hour of their deliverance was finally at hand. Realizing that he had been holding his breath, Levi slowly exhaled. Yes, my son, it's time to go. Get up. Let's get ready. 
The events that followed were beyond anything that Levi could have ever imagined in his wildest dreams. No one knew from which Egyptian home the first cry had gone up from. But once it did, the wail spread through the land like a wildfire. As one by one, each family was roused from its slumber to discover that their worst fears had been realized. Every firstborn male, whether old or young, rich or poor, every last one who had not been under the blood of the Passover lamb was dead. The grief-stricken wail of mothers and the panic shrieks of children joined together from all directions and could be heard throughout the entire land. Fathers carrying their dead sons ran out into the streets, desperately looking for a magician or a priest or anyone who might yet revive their son. But there was no help to be found. Even the magician's households had been visited. And just as Moses had said, even the royal palace was not exempt. For there lay the crown prince, the next in line to the throne, Pharaoh's own son, in the cold sleep of death. And in that moment, Pharaoh's granite heart was shattered to pieces. His instructions to Moses and Aaron were clear. Go! Get out! Get out of here! Leave us! And with that command, the floodgates were opened. Levi stood stunned as he looked up to see Egyptians running down the streets towards them, shouting, Please leave, or we will all die! And then as they began heaping on them, their precious family heirlooms, gold, silver, jewel, precious clothing, draping it over his shoulders. And then through the bedlam, Moses and Aaron's voices rang out. And slowly but surely, order began to emerge. And growing larger by the minute, a caravan began to take shape, heading east. As every last Israelite man, woman, and child along with all their flocks, all their herds, and all their possessions, along with all of the gifts of the Egyptian people. At long last, after four long centuries of God's silence, a way out had been provided. They were on their way to freedom. As they left, Levi gave one last glance over his shoulder, and he could see the pyramids receding behind him. He and his father and his father's father for generations before him had labored under the shadow of those pyramids. And there he had almost given up all hope that things would ever change, that God would ever hear their cries, that God would ever respond. And yet despite his lack of faith, despite his despair, despite his resignation that he would never see God work in his day, here he was a living witness to God's mighty power to save. Slavery in Egypt was now behind them. And as Levi looked at Benji running excitedly ahead, he realized something strange in his heart, something he hadn't felt for many years. It was hope for the future. His son would not be a slave. And as they rode out, Into the night, he knew that things would never again be the same. God had given them a way out, and the land of promise now lie ahead. And my friends, as I've told you before, Israelite's story is our story. 
The parallels run throughout. They are everywhere. We all, like Israel, were born helplessly enslaved to sin. Every last one of us, just as our father and our father's fathers before them. And this slavery to sin was not partial, it was complete and total, with it being a cruel taskmaster demanding that we obey the desires of our sinful nature. And as such, we all, as sinners, deserved God's judgment. But then, God provided a way out. He who is rich in love showed mercy towards us by providing a Passover lamb. God's own Son, one without spot or blemish, perfect in every way, whose blood was poured out, it too was soaked up on a wooden beam. It took the full cup of God's wrath against sin on his own shoulders, so that forever after, all who had come under the blood of the cross, under the blood of the Lamb, would be saved. That in a personal way, having applied that blood to the doorposts of their hearts, the angel of death passes over. And the way out of sin and death is secured. And the exodus into the promised land of God's kingdom, in this life and for eternal life, is begun. And my friends, today I'm here to tell you that the same God who acted powerfully in the past, the same Lord who will yet return in great power in the future, is the same God who is ready to meet with us right here today in the present. And his power is available for us. His power is available for your family. His power is available for your marriage. His power is available for your church and for your children and for this town. His power is here. It is the power to save. It is the power of the cross of Jesus Christ and for all who would come under the blood of the Lamb. This is the power that we live under here today. We may as well smear the blood of the Lamb over us and over the doorposts of this church because we are under it. If you are under the cross, you are under grace. You should be thankful today of all people that judgment passes over, not because we deserve it, but simply because Jesus stands in between. And so today, I pray that if this applies to you, that you have a thankful heart. And let me just say that if this does not yet apply to you, the way is still open, and you can apply the blood of Jesus right now today. His deliverance is for you. And if you have done that, be thankful. But also remember that there are many, many who are still captive in Egypt. And so even as we travel towards the promised land, may we each resolve to bring even just one more person with us into God's kingdom. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a mighty God. You are a God of great power who with an outstretched arm delivered your people in the most spectacular way. That for all centuries and millennia to follow, we have talked about this story of how you moved. And then, God, you again showed your power through the cross of Jesus Christ, triumphing over death itself. And here we are today, 
like the children of Israel, under the blood of the Lamb. Thank you, God, for your tremendous grace. Thank you, Jesus, that you went to the cross for us. And I pray that we would not live a single day in our lives taking it for granted. Thank you, God, that because of it, our children have a future and a hope. Thank you, God, that there is a way out of slavery to sin and to death. And I pray, God, that as we have been recipients of such a great gift, that we would not take it for granted that there are many others who yet need this gift right in our own town, people we know, people we rub shoulders with. And so, God, today we pray a simple prayer. And we ask, Lord, would you give us the opportunity to bring just one more person with us? One more person under the blood of the Lamb. Just one more into your kingdom. Would you give us an opportunity, Lord, and then give us the courage to do what you ask of us? In Jesus' name, amen.